So quite, quite the choice we have. Uh, we can go to the women's game night on Friday, or we can go study judges on Saturday. Oh, how fun, Tim. Good idea. <laughs> Seriously? I mean, come on. I don't know. What, what are we doing here? Can, if I wear a wig, can I come to the game night? Is that right? Is, uh, what, what's the parameters? I mean, is there any rules against that? There is, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Whatever. All right. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 through chapter 2, verse 5. Um, you can open up to that passage in your Bibles if you have it, or on your Bible apps if you have those. I don't have those words in the overhead, so you just follow along with me there or just listen in. For the message of cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God... The world, through its wisdom, did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand a sign, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential, not many were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. And, and so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence of human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, 
but on God's power. I believe the biggest challenge that the Corinthian church wrestled with and that Paul is writing to address was the challenge of the church being impacted and influenced by the culture. The Corinthian church had become enculturated. It had become pluralistic in the sense that it was adopting the cultural beliefs and perspectives into their faith and practice. They were melding Christian ideas with non-Christian ideas and proclaiming them both as Christian. The Corinthians were pluralistic in their, their understanding of who God was and how they practiced being a church. We see Paul address these pluralisms, these enculturations, over and over again throughout this book. He addresses intellectualism in chapter 1 and chapter 3. The Corinth was a, it was a hub, a center of brilliance and intelligence and philosophy. And those things and those ideas had infiltrated the church to the point where the church was uh, focused on those things and were trying to take those things and, and put them into a Christian context. In chapters 5 and 7, Paul deals with the sexual freedom that was surrounding them in the culture that had then entered into the church to the point where they were celebrating these sexual sins and sexual immorality within the walls of the church. In chapter 6, Paul addresses the, the, the concepts of these Roman legal rights and perspectives, similar to what we have, that, you know, we have the rights, you know, all these rights in America, right? You know, and, and, and so as a result, that had happened in the church, that they were grabbing onto those rights in the culture, and they were saying there were rights as a Christian as well. Also, Paul deals in chapters 8, 10, and 12 with idol worship. Again, Corinth was this hub of activity and there were all these different spiritual perspectives that, had, that were all around them. And so the church had actually begun to take some of those different perspectives and, and include them as part of what they were doing in their worship. And finally, in chapter 11, Paul also addresses the, the, the kind of the elitism that was in that culture and is in ours as well of the rich being exalted and honored above all else. The biggest challenge that the Corinthian church was dealing with was enculturation, melding cultural perspectives into a Christian perspective and belief. And Paul was being clear that this is wrong. But more so, consider what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 15, verses 7 to 9, where he's uh, challenging the Pharisees because they were using cultural laws about money in order to kind of reserve for themselves kind of this you know, uh, uh, ability to provide for themselves and not have to provide for their parents. So they're kind of like trying to get out of having to honor their parents and take care of them and so that we could save money. And so they use these rules in... in, in in the culture around them. And so listen to these verses here. You hypocrites, Jesus says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. Their teachings are merely human 
rules. Jesus was preaching against enculturation. He was preaching against them taking cultural perspectives and incorporating them into Christianity. The reality is that Christianity at its foundation is counter-cultural. Christianity is a culture of its own. And the minute you begin to change it by allowing this culture to impact or influence Christian culture, then it is no longer Christian culture. You're creating something wholly different. This same reality and same struggle is ours today. I would say, actually, that this reality is just a common struggle for all of mankind in every church we, we struggle with pluralistic perspectives. We struggle with this enculturation. We live in this culture, and it is influencing us, and it influences how we think and how we view God and how we practice being a church. Plenty of examples of that. How it influences our faith is through the, per, the perspective of triumphalism, the idea that when you become a Christian, it's all about getting goodies, right? It's all about your life going to be better because you're a Christian now, and that, you know, you're going to have all these goodies. God is just wanting to bless you, and he's just going to dump all this stuff on you, and you're going to be rich and you're happy and healthy and all this kind of stuff. This is an American perspective that has worked its way into the theology of some churches. Spiritualism is another, the idea, the concept that all roads leave to, lead to God. That, 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 you know, it doesn't really matter what you believe, that they're all to the same God. And so we can, you know, in our culture here in America, we just, we, we're going to accept all the different ways and different w- forms of, of religion, right? And that Eastern religion or Western religion, it doesn't matter, the Jewish uh, perspectives or Muslim perspectives, let's just incorporate them all. All of them have something to say about how we're going to worship God. And some churches have taken that approach and allowed that to happen within their churches. Ethics is another one, and this, what I mean by this is specifically the concept that love is the most important thing, that love is actually above God, that it's all about love. If we would just love more, then everything would be great. The world would be a happy place. The great theologian, Jimi Hendrix, he wrote, (laughs) he said that when the power of love overcomes the love of power, the world will know peace. And we, as, in, 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 as Christians in churches today, have a tendency to grab onto this love concept because we really like love, and it's a good thing, and it is part of who God is. We love to grab onto that love and, and, and embrace that and make that that's what it's all about, that love trumps everything. Love defeats everything. Love wins. Another influence in our faith is the, uh, the concept of self-sufficiency, that, that God helps those who help themselves. This is, this is a concept. It is not a biblical concept. It is a cultural concept that has worked its way into the church, and we have churches that are promoting this kind of perspective. Tolerance is another influence in the faith, to live and to let live. The, the idea that we have to accept every different truth as true. Of course, in our amazing culture in America, marketing has hugely impacted the church today, that God is a product to sell. On the other side, consumerism, that God is a product to purchase, to own, to obtain. 
Our culture also impacts how we practice church. Some churches seek to entertain. They're, they're the, the church of a, of a rock concert. They're, they're the church that's all about this come and see this amazing concert that we have every Sunday. They're the entertainment church, the church that is seeking to entertain our culture. There are some that, uh, churches that are about motivation. They're, they're motivational speaker churches. They're the self-help church. Come to this church so that you can figure out how to live your life better. Come to figure out how you, know, you just put these pr- principles into practice and you will be a better person and you'll have more success or whatever it may be. The, there's also the, the business growth church, you know, with the pastor as CEO, right? And his job is to make sure that this, this company is continuing to grow year in and year out. There's, of course, the seeker-sensitive church, the church for non-Christians, right? There's the business leadership church as well, the, those who are discipling leaders. We're, we're not interested in just discipling people. We are discipling leaders. It's all about leadership and, and being strong in leadership. We have the non-church church. It's for those who don't like church, right? I mean, that, that's out there. We have it. We, we also have the one-stop shop church, which is great, right? I mean, this is a church that's usually huge because it's got it all. I mean, it has a mall, like on campus, right? I mean, you can go shopping when you're done with, you know, worship the Lord and, you know, Pay, pay, buy some, you know, buy some clothes, whatever, right? You, you got, you know, restaurants there. I mean, you don't ever have to leave this campus, right? You can, you can live there. I mean, they've got houses that are nearby, so you can just walk over, and then you can spend your whole, you could work there, because you'd have a job, you know, working at one of these retail shops, and you can have coffee, and you could have, I mean, you got it all. It's everything there. There's also the coffee shop church, my fir- personal favorite. <laughs> the, the comfortable place to be, to hang out with family and friends, These are all different ways that our culture has infiltrated the church. Did I leave anybody out? I think I got probably most people, right? (laughs) But this is the reality we live in. We We are people, we are churches who struggle with culture. And there's reason that we struggle with culture, several. And the first is that we want to fit in. It's just who we are. We, we as human beings, we want to fit in. We want to be accepted, right? We don't want to walk down the street and everybody, you know, looking at us funny, right? We want to be able to walk down the street and, you know, kind of feel like, yeah, you know, I'm part of this culture. I'm part of this world. I'm, you know, I'm, I have something to offer. So we want to fit in. And so we seek to be accepted by the culture as a church, we, we want the church to accept us. As, as pastors, we long to be respected by the intellectuals in culture. You know, that we would have something to offer. They're not totally crazy, not having total ideas, but, you know, I've got some good stuff. I've got some good perspective to bring to the, to the argument or to the, to, the, uh, to the, I don't know what it is, whatever it is. The thing, the table. There you go, the table. Yeah, it's just a table. It's just, just a t- I don't know why I can't think of table, but it's, it's there. Anyway. Um, Churches long to be respected and accepted for their acceptance of the world, right? We, we, we want the world to look at the church and go, oh, wow, man, they, they do a really good job of accepting everybody 
in. Everybody can come in. Doesn't matter what you think. Doesn't matter what you believe. We want you to come in. So we want to be known and respected for being accepting. We want to be known and accepted for our community service and what the good job we do in the community and how we impact those who need help and how we're involved in serving. We want to be respected for maybe even our music or our ministries that, you know, that we have the best worship leader in town, and we do. And amen, right? I mean, it's so awesome. Anyway, so uh, that we would be celebrating that and, and that, you know, don't you want to be a part of this amazing ministry, the ministry that we have and have concerts during the week and all of that. Part of this idea and this desire to fit in and to be accepted by the culture is kind of the opposite of that, too. We fear being labeled crazy. We fear being labeled extreme. We fear being labeled foolish. We, we want to be legitimized by the culture. Another struggle, a part of this struggle, another part of this struggle with the culture is that we want to attract the culture. I mean, it's part of being a church, right? We want to attract the culture to our church because we believe that we have the gospel message, right? This salvation message. And so we want to attract the, the culture by, through evangelistic efforts and different you know, ways of reaching out to different groups. And we try to look and act like the culture as a result. We don't think that it's, we need to set apart from the culture. We want to look and act like the culture so when the culture walks through the doors of our church, they feel at home in the church. And this is, the motivation for this is good, right? We want to be able to share the love of Christ with them. This is the whole concept of seeker-friendly services, is that the idea is that the non-Christian would feel comfortable in the church. And once they feel sitting, comfortable in the church, sitting in the pews, they would hear the message and they'd give their life to Christ. I'm not saying this is a, like a totally wrong philosophy, but understand underneath that is potentially the desire to be accepted by the culture, not to be counterculture, not to be accepted by Christ instead. And so... We give up things in order to try to get that, right? We give up perspectives. Finally, I think part of our struggle with the culture is that we want to be successful. We as a church want to be successful. We, we want to have kingdom impact. Right? I mean, who goes to a church and says, oh boy, I hope this church in a couple of years will just close its doors, right? I mean, when you commit to a church, that's not what you're thinking. You're thinking, oh man, I'm excited. Now, maybe you don't want you know, huge growth. I don't want to be a mega church. But maybe you're like, yeah, I want this church to continue to have influence and, and do some good things. I want this church to be successful. This is a common thing and a right thing for us as a congregation to think. But it can be corrupt at times. And so we look for kingdom impact. How can we make a difference? And the way that we track making a difference seems to always fall back on numbers. Right? How many people? are coming through the door? How many people are in small groups? How much money has been given? How many people did we send on the mission field? How many, you know, it's always numbers. And, and then sometimes, you know, people don't like the word numbers, and so we throw in the word growth. We want to be a church of growth. Well, what does growth mean? Numbers, <laughs> right? We, we want a church that's growing and numerically, growing financially, growing in its mission impact, growing, you know what I'm saying? It's, just, it's numbers again. So in our struggle with the culture, we have a desire to fit in. We want to attract the culture in order to share the gospel. And we also want to be a successful church. But the question has to be asked, what are we compromising in order to do that? Too often, we as churches compromise our theology and our practice in order 
to fit into the culture, to attract the culture, and to be a successful church. We compromise theology and so to the point that clear teaching of Scripture and salvation becomes clouded. And people begin to think that actually truth is relative. And that they can bring their truths from the world into the church and they fit. We compromise to the point with our practice as well, to the point that a clear understanding of the purpose of the church is lost as well. And so we have people who are sitting in our pews and in our churches and in our chairs who believe that church is all about them. We have to resist the pull of culture. This is what Paul is calling the Corinthian church to. This is what Paul is calling us to. To resist the pull of culture. We certainly need to understand culture. We, we need to understand where the weaknesses in the culture are, where the needs in the culture are, so that we can bring the gospel message to those places. But we need to fight against allowing the culture to influence our perspective of God and how we live out our Christian life, both individually and as a church. We also must resist the pull to be a successful church. We can look at the mega church down the street and go, well, that looks pretty successful. We can look at the missional church down the street that sends missions, all, missionaries all over the world and we go, that looks pretty successful. We can look at the church that is involved in street ministry and taking care of the homeless and is very big service, active, active in service church and we go, well, that looks like a successful church. But the question has to be asked, is that success? When we focus on the outward realities, are we really finding success? I believe true success, and I think Scripture clearly teaches this, true success is first and foremost a relationship with Jesus, second, it's obedience to Jesus, and finally, it's proclaiming the cross. Paul, in his passage here, is calling the Corinthian church, and he's calling us to foolishness. He, he's, he's tell, he says, look, did the world save you? This is the question he's asking. Did the world save you? You were in the world. You lived there for a long time. Did the world save you? And the answer is obvious, no. Jesus saved you. So why are you still trying to live according to their rules? Why are you still trying to live according to their intelligence and their wisdom? It was Jesus who saved you. God's wisdom is true foolishness. And I want to explain this. The title of the message, True Foolishness. I want to explain this. God's wisdom is true foolishness. What I mean is not that God's wisdom is truly foolish. What I mean is that God's, wis God's wisdom is foolishness that is true. The world's perspective says, that's just crazy. But God's foolishness is true. Consider this. 
A foolish, what does a foolish church believe? A foolish church would proclaim that Christ is crucified, not triumphalistic. The world says, that's just crazy. Why would I want to be a part of a failed leadership? Why would I want to be offered, why would I want to be a part of a group that is saying that I'm going to suffer if I join? I mean, that's just crazy. What are you thinking? That makes no sense. Why would I want to be a part of that? A foolish church proclaims one way to Christ, not all roads lead to Christ. And the world says, that's foolishness. Why join such arrogance and judgmentalism? I mean, who says that you have the corner on truth? I mean, come on, there's a lot of different perspectives out there. Why is yours right and mine not? You're a fool. The foolish says, the foolish church proclaims that God's love and justice are real, not universalism. And the, church, and the, and the world says, that's foolishness. Why would I want to join a God who is filled with wrath and judgment? Why would I want to be a part of a God who's going to send people to hell? That just doesn't make any, that's just foolishness. I don't want to be a part of it. The foolish church proclaims dependence on God, not self-sufficiency. And the world says, why would I want to join a power-hungry God who wants all the credit? That that makes no sense. That's foolishness. I mean, I've got some pretty good skills. I mean, I'm sure he could use me pretty well. I mean, why don't you just, you know, come to me and try to appease me a little bit? Why don't you say, hey, you know, where's your resume, God, to say that I should come and serve you? Right? The foolish church proclaims universal moral truth, not tolerance. And the world says, why in the world would I want to enjoy or join a group who doesn't accept everyone's perspective and lifestyle. That's just foolishness. That's just mean. That's just wrong. Those are some of the beliefs of a foolish church. Here's some of the practices of a foolish church. Foolish church has Sunday services that are focused on worshiping God, not man's preferences. And the world says, why join a church that doesn't fit my style? I mean, that just doesn't make sense. I mean, why would, I, why would I want to go to a church where it's got music I don't really like, and it's got a guy that gets up and talks, and I don't really like the way he talks, and, and there's, this only, there's only this praying going on. It's like, what is going on? Why would I want to be a part of that church? The foolish church also teaches about God's ability, not man's. And, and of course, man says, well, why join a church that doesn't need me? Talking about God's ability, not man's ability. Well, I mean, I've got some things to offer. I can do something. The foolish church functions as a family, not a business. And the world says, why would I join a church that doesn't have a good growth you know, chart? Isn't worried about you know, getting bigger and better. I mean, are you just going to be stagnant? Are you just going to be happy with that? Foolish church has a service for Christians to worship God, not to entertain non-Christians. And the world says, why join a church that makes me feel guilty about my sin? I mean, really, that's what I want to do on Sunday. I mean, I, I get Sunday morning off, right? And that's the one day of the week that I can really kind of be lazy. And you're saying, oh, yeah, I want you to come to church. And I want you to sit through a service where they get up in front and they start ragging on me about all my sin. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what I want to do on Sunday morning. Thank you not. 
A foolish church is a place where Christians worship and serve, not get what they want. And the world says, why join a church where my spiritual needs are not met? I mean, I've got some real concerns. I've got a lot of kids. I mean, who's going to take care of my kids? I've I got a lot of stuff that I need. A foolish church is a place where God stirs, shakes, and challenges people and doesn't make them feel comfortable. And the world says, why join a church where I'm asked to do stuff that I'm not good at, that, that pulls me out of my comfort zone and makes me feel uncomfortable? Do you get it? This is what Paul is calling us to. This is what Christ is calling us to. It's not going to fit this culture. It, it's not going to be palatable to them. They're going to look at us and they're going to say, that's foolishness. That's crazy. That's out of touch with culture. God chooses fools. God chooses fools. Consider Noah. (laughs) What a fool. You're building an ark that's going to have two of every animal in it. Yeah, right. Yeah, can you imagine? I mean, I just watched Evan Almighty, right, the other day, which is a great, like, reenactment of this whole Noah thing, right? I mean, r- really, I mean, it's true, right? I mean, wouldn't the culture around be going, what are you doing? You are crazy. You are off your rocker. Oh, you talked to God. <laughs> yeah, it's going to rain. Yeah, we haven't had rain in how, yeah. you know what I'm saying? What a fool for God. Consider Gideon. <laughs> He's going up an army of 100,000 soldiers, highly trained soldiers. Okay? And he brings 300 men and some clay pots and some lamps. What a fool. I mean, what? there's no way you're going to win that battle, Gideon. You're just going to get slapped. They're not just going to stand and laugh at you when they see 300 people. (laughs) Seriously? They're like, half of them are going to walk out because they're just going, this guy is just crazy. What a fool. Moses. (laughs) That guy, he couldn't even put two sentences together, let alone two words. Yeah, yeah. You're going to go in and tell Pharaoh that the water's going to turn into. It's getting there. Blood, right? You know what I'm saying? It's, what a fool, Moses. What are you doing? You can't even communicate very well. Why would you take. This is dumb, man. You're just going to make a fool of yourself. You're going to be embarrassed. It's going to be ugly. <laughs> David, I love David. <laughs> so he's a highly trained giant. He's like eight feet tall, super strong, super powerful. You know, he's like you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger back in the day, right? You know, I mean, this guy's huge, right? And <laughs> David, oh, don't worry, I got this. Let me get a couple of stones here, and I got my sling. No, I don't need any armor, I'll be all right. <laughs> Seriously? You, you fool. I mean, the, 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 the giant Goliath is like laughing at him, right? It's like, what, what are you guys doing sitting in this guy in front of me, right? What a fool. God uses fools. Peter. Peter, that's water. Don't get out of the boat. Peter, you fool, what are you doing? That's water. You're going to sink and drown. 
right? What what a fool. Stephen, you know, just run or something. They're, They're throwing rocks at you. You know, I mean, maybe just run, you know, or just, just try shutting up. You know, just don't say anything more, and maybe you'll save your life. You fool, why do you stay there and continue to preach the gospel? What is your problem? God uses fools. Let's bring it home. Mike Mercer. Hope you, hope you guys can take this the right way. You fool. Why in the world would you allow God to tell you a word and then actually go and talk to somebody you've never, you don't know their name? I mean, just get in the car and drive away. You don't have to do, that's just stupid. Like, I mean, really, I mean, you think God speaks to you? <laughs> what makes you so special? That's just foolish. Why would you do that? Bobby Stewart, why in the heck would you take a guy you don't know to Medford, Oregon? I mean, you can't even hardly drive down the street, man. I've, I've been in the car with you. That is scary. What are you thinking? You can't, that is just foolishness. You're taking that guy's life in your hands. That's not, that's not a good thing, man. Jackie White, why would you, why in the world would you have a friend who doesn't love Jesus and tells you that they don't want to know about him, and you still invite her to a Bible study. I mean, that's just crazy. What are you thinking? Are you just trying to destroy that relationship or what? I mean, maybe you should just kind of wait around for a while until God does something. Why take that step? Fools for Christ. God uses fools. Do you get it? Does it make sense? Judith, Lovejoy. You're a fool for God. Why? Why do you continue to care for your grandson and your sons? Why? Why do you continue to care for them when there's nothing for you? It's not easy. It's, not, it's, it's hard. Well, it'd be better just to leave them and move on and do something. Let somebody else take care of them. Do you, do you get it? Why? Go, girl, girl. Go, girl. <laughs> yeah. God, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, God uses fools. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> Do we get it? God is still looking to use fools. It is not going to be palatable by the culture. The culture is going to tell us, don't do that. That's crazy. The culture is going to say, your theology is just, it's, it's judgmental. It's out to lunch. It's, 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 you sh- it's not nice. It's mean. It's mean-spirited. It's judged. It's, it's just not good. The, the world is going to tell us that following Jesus wherever he leads, even outside of our comfort zone, that's just crazy. I mean, that's just not wise thinking. There is a wisdom to, you know, know what you should do and what you shouldn't do. There's certain things that you just doesn't make sense and you just don't do them because it doesn't make sense. So for you to say, oh, God spoke to me and then do it, makes, what are you doing? That's foolish. The world is not going to accept this wisdom that is from God. But are we, and this is the question, are we fools for God? God is looking to use fools. 
Are you a fool? Are you focused completely on Jesus and the relationship you have with him to love him? Are you ready at any moment to follow him no matter where he leads, no matter how crazy it sounds? Are you willing to stand up and boldly and without shame proclaim Jesus crucified? And the question comes to us as a church as well. Because God uses foolish churches. Are we a foolish church? Is Jesus the focus and a relationship, a personal, intimate relationship with him, is that, our, a fo- is that our focus? Is that the most important thing? Is that what we're striving for above all else? Are we willing to follow Jesus wherever he leads us as a church? No matter how crazy it seems, no matter how wild-fetched it is, no matter how much we can't afford it, no matter how much we can't do it, no matter what, are we willing to follow him wherever he leads? And are we willing to stand up and unashamedly proclaim Jesus crucified. These are fools that Jesus uses. Worship team, come forward. Please, as I say, just one last thing. This battle that we have with our culture is, it's not easy, and we are all in it. We are all fighting it, individually and as a church. And, and the culture is so powerful and it impacts us and it has for years and years and years. And so sometimes it's really hard to see where the difference lies. What is a Christian culture versus just the American culture? But may we each renew our focus on a relationship with Jesus. May we each bow our knee to Jesus as Lord and say, I will go anywhere, anytime, wherever you lead, I'm there. And will we put our pride aside? Stop worrying about what people are going to think about us and stand up and proudly say, Jesus is crucified for me and for you.